Hello and welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard, here with Josh Ulswich. Hey, Josh. Mr. Brian, how are you on this very fine, soon-to-be summer day? Soon-to-be summer. I guess It's like a- cold here and rainy. It's weird. <laughs> I guess so. From an uh, actual timeline, it, got, it, it was chilly for a minute, but now we're talking weather on a podcast, which is one of my least favorite things ever. Well, that's how you start every podcast, you know? This episode of LedgerCast is brought to you by Token Sets. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash sets to check out their simplified asset management tools. They power the DeFi Pulse Index. I have my own tulip on there. And you know what's been getting a lot of talk recently is this Flea product, Fly, F-L-I. It's actually a leverage product available to people who have access to such things. It's a great tool. You can follow along Feeless, let the manager take care of all that action. Just go to ledgerstatus.com slash sets to check it out. See if there's a portfolio uh, management tool there that fits your style and interest. Thanks so much, Token Sets, for being our partner. Josh, you had something up that I wanted to ask you about, and now you've taken it off. I mean, we can we can just... Is it, just let's get right to it. I Tell have me. never... I, I said this maybe two or three weeks in a row now, but I've never felt so out of it. You know, sometimes you literally go to bed and you wake up, you know exactly what price is going to be. You have ex- expectations that are met. Everything is perfect. And then sometimes there's like this lone wolf multimillionaire just shotgunning cells on Coinbase for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Dude, I feel like if you're, if, you're, if you're just dropping $4 million at a time on the like one second chart, just obliterating it. You're more than a multimillionaire. Like you are, you have got discretionary income or discretionary assets galore. If you're accepting three to four percent slippage, when you could probably get an OTC desk on the phone in like five minutes, even in the middle of the night. <laughs> so like it's just pure raw, should, unadulterated time, panic. They need to call me because I'll take care of it for them. Okay, you'll that's, OTC, that's a promise. You'll OTC for one percent slippage. <laughs> That's a promise. I will I will gladly help them. For those of you on the stream or the visual who don't know what we're talking about, I'm trying to bring it up on the one second chart. It's really hard to do uh, yeah, on well, training view. While you di- while you dig into that, uh sorry. Synthetic in the chat uh asked if maybe it was just a long term holder selling out. I would almost certainly assume that it's someone who did not mind the fact that they're getting massive slippage. They were happy with their wins, but they were also really capitulating like just out at all costs so it's irrational behavior no matter what um you found you found some of them you found an example so we'll just pull here's the it's a one minute you know you can see it on the one second chart it's it's just disgusting i mean anybody who trades this like for any period of time let's say you've been trading for like two weeks right for the most part you know that market selling is the devil because of the fees make or taker right um, you're better off setting a limit order, blah, blah, blah. You're only going to do this if you are A, panicking, which is possible, but this person panicking has a lot of money. B, trying to purposefully doom the market to get fills elsewhere. Now, we saw this before. We've seen this before because of uh, how indices work. So if Coinbase is in an index and someone's trying to push the index lower to get filled on futures, for example, that's one way to do it. Uh, we saw this with BitMEX and Kraken. And Bitstamp, um, when BitMEX had a bad indice, for lack of a better word, 
Um, what people would do is push Kraken and Bitstamp down to get margin calls and liquidations rolling on futures and get better fills or short positions, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they might have been trying to force a, uh, a, for a push down into the 40s to get filled somewhere else, but whatever they were doing, it didn't work. It, it marked the bottom instead. And the, meanwhile, they got slipped 1500 bucks or something per order. Uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, percentage-wise, grand scheme of things for them, not that big of a deal, probably. But but, d- but also dumb. like Super dumb. Like, the dumbest thing I've seen in a long time. In a long time. That's the kind of thing you do on a very illiquid altcoin that's like a tiny percentage of your portfolio. So maybe that's how they view themselves. <laughs> like, you know, like maybe Bitcoin's just like, okay, whatever, I'm done with this, I'm out of here. Uh, but I kind of doubt it. I have probably some other kind of either stupidity or nefarious attempt. So they did it twice on VTC. This is the weird part, though. You know, you do it once, okay, fine. But um, they did it twice on VTC, and they did it once on ETH, and maybe other coins. I don't know exactly. Yeah, I can't find it on a three minute. But either way, um, just ridiculous. So there was a lot of goofy price action. However, let's look at the scheme of things. Bitcoin's pretty weak, but I want to. I want to just highlight what I've noted you know, kind of my most important thing is ETH has gained a lot in the past uh, couple of weeks. But um, when I look at this daily, there are four strong wicks today being actually the strongest of them all, where there was a lot of ETH demand between like 2000 and 2200 back into this prior order block, previous high, basically front running 2000. And, there was this failed breakout to the upside, but now the wick on the opposite end. Like you're wrecked, you're wrecked if you longed the breakout. You wrecked if you're wrecked if you shorted the dump, and like that just makes it seem ready for the real move now. Um, not that I'm trying to predict which direction it's going to be, but I do lean bullish purely because of the relative strength for Ethereum to Bitcoin. Finally, like the magnet of 0.055 for me has never been closer. New weekly high. Um, and it already retested, you don't see it on the weekly candle, but on the daily, that 0.043 to 0.044 that I thought would be, uh, bought up pretty well. It was, what's interesting is this is in the face of the weakest looking Bitcoin chart in months. Um, I don't, I don't think you can get this week since it's, we were 10,300 and then we had that sideways grind in October, 2020 before we mooned. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, it's. I said in the video I just put out on YouTube, go check that out after the stream's over. Of course, you'd never leave the stream leave midstream. The stream. You'd never do um, or if you're listening to the podcast, go check that out. YouTube.com slash Carpe Noctum. Um, yeah, it's odd that, to see BTC and ETH go in opposite directions. Now we can say like, this is people rotating out of BTC and into ETH or whatever. Um, no, the meth heads absolutely love that narrative. Count yeah, me be, in, count me in. And that's fine. You know, <laughs> I don't care. Bye, Felicia. See you later. Whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, but that's not going to move the needle. Let's be real here. That, that shouldn't move the needle. You know, um, if anything, BTC is on a journey for mean reversion and ETH. ETH definitely looks better than BTC. I'll give you that for sure. On yeah. all the trend metrics, on anything we can look at. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like everything I'm looking at is like BTC trend wise. Um, is going neutral 
ETH is still bearish, bullish. Sorry, um, I, I don't know what's going on or why ETH still looks illiquid at the highs. It shouldn't make an all-time high and then pull back thirty percent or whatever it did, right? Like yeah. that's not normal. That's not normal either. Oh, well, safe, safe moon, not normal. Yeah. Doge, not normal. What we're seeing here is not normal, and that's not because I'm losing or making money. It's just not normal. You know? Right. Well, this is. Uh our listeners know I love talking about the 20-week moving average. This is the best chance that Bitcoin has to tap it in six months. Um, has not touched that moving average in six months. And I think it would be healthy if it did. I don't think it has to. Like, it could take a while and go sideways and ETH continues to move up or something like that. We've had a lot of selling. There was a lot of capitulation. There was $10 billion in liquidations last week. Did Was that after last Friday or was that before? Um I don't really remember. I haven't looked at the liquidations. It was here. So let's that was one, two, three, four, five. So it no, we did not have a show when it broke down. Um but that ten billion in liquidations, I think it was Sunday night maybe. Um it was enough leverage washout and now it looks like we've made a secondary push that that's a lot of selling that's been washed out of the market. So even though I think Bitcoin could totally go to that 20 week moving average, I st- it could still take multiple weeks to get there. You know, like we could still just chop sideways, be neutral, but not like rocket back up to 75 K or something. And a neutral Bitcoin is going to give Ethereum time to make the move that Ethereum desperately wants to make. Like Ethereum is so, so relatively strong that it just nukes whenever Bitcoin like in, decides to end the party, which that's a uh, a healthy thing in the market. Like Bitcoin, Bitcoin's strength is still ruling the day. You know, they're not like completely decorrelated. But um, ETH really wants to go. ETH really looks like it wants to recover faster. Um, and if Bitcoin kind of takes its time in tapping those longer term mean reversions, then that can give ETH room to move. ETH has underperformed uh, DeFi. It's underperformed like old scam chains. It's underperformed a lot of stuff because its flows tend to go to DeFi. So DeFi was kind of capturing a lot of those ETH flows, and now it seems like it's ETH's turn. 1559 is officially, supposedly... Theoretically, <laughs> going to be included in the July London uh, update. That is not priced in, Josh. It's not priced in. I continue to be an ETH maximalist. The price action appears to support me unless Bitcoin full nukes uh, and like doesn't sideways itself and $15 billion of liquidations was not enough for it to like quit puking and we go down to... You're saying this yeah, like it's BTC's 40s. fault, you know? I'm what not, if what if what if the angle is BTC's being held down here? Because that's what it looked like. To held me. down by what? I don't know. Again, I, someone's having a conversation in a, in the same room I'm in, but I don't know what they're saying. That's what I keep. That's the analogy I keep using. I have no idea why. I have no idea, and I don't think we'll know until weeks from now. But well, is it is it the mining thing? No, I don't know. Word on the word on the street, uh, at least in terms of what caused. It, it to go from like looking ugly to real ugly over the past couple of days was this Biden tax thing, right? Um, well, yeah, I have that up. 
It's uh yeah, you've got the z- zero hedge tweet. <laughs> Biden plans capital gains tax to help finance one point five trillion human infrastructure package. Human infrastructure is a weird term. Um, basically, it was a it's a potential raise on long term capital gains for people making over one million dollars per year, um, which is not that's, a lot of people, but it is a lot of money. Yada yada. And the money above a million is taxed. It's not like all your money below a million is taxed. Correct. Uh, um, which is another thing people don't understand because hot take, which I don't think is a hot take at all. Good. Raise the capital gains tax. Good. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's incentive to trade more. If you get taxed at the same rate as your short term capital gains, <laughs> just trade. The market clearly needed a reason. Yeah, it just this that, is, you've said this for years on this podcast. It need, you can have a breakdown, and then you can go look for the fundamental justification for it. Um, anyway, it lined up really well. It did. On the, it lined, on up, the low it lined up nicely. It also, I mean, I mean, it, this was not like crypto only. It wasn't weekend news or anything like that. This happened in legacy markets as well, um, and the, all those legacy markets have full retraced the news. Uh, if I, yeah. like, if I look at this, it happened on this one hourly in legacy. It was like, Oh no, sell, sell, sell. And then it was like, Oh, that was stupid. Let's just buy this back up. <laughs> you know, well, it's just such like, a, it's such a knee jerk reaction for no reason <laughs> yeah. because selling now versus selling until December, like it doesn't matter. Right. Like in yeah. a grand scheme of things, if, if capital gains gets doubled, if the tax gets doubled, which isn't going to happen, by the way, it's going to be way lower than double, even if it does even pass. But, um, there's no reason to sell immediately versus versus until December, whatever, right? Like it doesn't matter. Yeah, not to uh, mention it, not to mention the house is fairly tight. The Senate's literally down to a tiebreak vote from the vice president. Um, many things can turn this into a weaker bill, and that's what the Senate loves to do anyway. Is like you know essentially take the teeth off of most bills. Um, and like if anybody's if anybody's got politicians in their pocket, it's the bankers, and the bankers don't really want this to the full effect so it'll probably end up being of course not. a quote compromise <laughs> that ends up increasing the deficit further but so like you get the human infrastructure whatever that means child care and stuff you get that but you don't pay for it that's what's going to actually happen you've heard yeah. it you heard it here one you know not first so i'm sure plenty of people have had that take but that's my take so, you know, this is like a cause effect thing that I could point to and say, yeah, that makes sense because people are going to be stupid and just sell off on, you know, what they think is bearish, right? Which sh- sure it is. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not, not bearish, but it's not like we need to sell two, two to 5% immediately because of this news. It was just stupid. Um, so that of all the things that's, that have happened, this made the most sense to me because um, it was bearish everywhere, right? Like you said, legacy. Um, but everything else, like, let me pull up the, uh, nobody's talking about this, by the way, zero people. Look at this transaction count. <laughs> few. <laughs> Literally few. Maybe I'm, I haven't seen it. Maybe I'm, I've been on Twitter a lot less lately, but uh, transaction counts for ETH continue to push all-time highs. Continue to push all-time highs. Active addresses for ETH, fresh all-time high. For the first time ever, it's broke 700K. That's on a weekly basis. Um, even on a daily basis, it's at 770. You know, uh, I've I've become a temporary Ethereum maxi, as you know. And, you know, when I was giving my Ethereum maximalist take last week, uh, David, a.k.a. Trustless State, was very disappointed that I didn't make it 
known to everyone that Ethereum is ultrasound money. Um, but what's funny about that is I do think Ethereum with in the world of EIP-1559 is ultrasound money because it becomes less inflationary at best-case scenario and potentially uh, deflationary. At the same time, people are very willing to spend it. So they're very willing to spend their ultrasound money, which makes it more ultrasound. Because <laughs> you're, you the more you spend, the more you burn. The more you burn, the more ultrasound it is. It is a interesting uh, cyclical nature of money, and you're welcome, David. Uh, but I have to mention it as you bring up this like hypermoon transaction count and. Josh, what's fascinating about this transaction count is that is ETH layer one, which is extraordinarily expensive to s- transact on, and BSC and PancakeSwap has overtaken even this. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. Is uh, the, the impressive part truly about that transaction count is the fees? Those aren't those are real transactions. You know, unlike BSC, which has questionable data relative to what they they promote. You know, I'm not exactly an ETH fan, but it's pretty clear that Binance has a history of goosing metrics, uh, volume, all sorts of stuff. So I don't think what I'm saying this, here, dude, like I had normie friends asking me about safe moon and the only way to do safe moon is through BSC and like uh pancake swap and stuff. And I'm like, how can people figure out how to get money on BSC when my friends can't even bridge from ETH to BSC? <laughs> like, and people are getting billions of dollars on there to buy safe moon scams. It's unbelievable to me. All I'm saying is, yes, a lot of a lot of the BSC numbers are legitimate, but keep in mind, not all of it is legitimate. That's all. That's all that needs to be said. Really. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, James says, "Are you guys buying any projects on BSC?" And my answer is no. I think the Big no for me. The BSC, <laughs> the BSC train has, I think, okay, here's my take on BSC, all right? BSC. Please, ETH Maximalist, give us your BSC take. BSC is just <laughs> an Ethereum sidechain in, in, in layer one clothing, right? So it's, ETH, it's a bad ETH layer two because it's centralized, but it is fast, but it's not that fast. It's not as fast as proper ETH layer two. Uh, it's just a side chain to Ethereum. The transaction counts, the product innovation, some of that stuff. And when I say product innovation, basically it's things you can do when you can do stuff like auto compound every day because the fees are so cheap or like new, new products from a yield perspective that can be created when you're not limited by transaction fees. That's where some of the innovation will come and it'll come back to ETH. When it comes back to ETH because ETH is a better network in every way and it gets on eth proper layer twos that are not centralized it'll really make bsc uh look not like a good like like a not good place to be for those things and that'll be the end of the bsc experiment some of these projects from there will live they will transition into ethereum layer twos that are more decentralized or more interesting or go to eth layer one whatever but most of them will just go nine, down 99%. I think it'll cause a distribution event for BNB itself as those fundamental metrics of transaction counts and monthly active users and all that starts to go down. It doesn't make me a super bear on BNB. It just doesn't make me bullish. That's all. That's all it means. And it's long-term not very bullish on BSC itself because the Ethereum-based Layer 2 options will be vastly better. That's my take. Money moved there because Ethereum was expensive, and now 
Ethereum layer twos are imminent. Proper decent Ethereum layer twos are imminent. And the other take is uh, ETH BTC moon means that the left side of the curve is here. <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, when the left side of the curve is here, we get stuff like Doge and Safe Moon um, and BitConnect. <laughs> that's my take. So that's why BSC performs so well. You mean? Right, right. Uh, like you're saying, your friends are talking about BSC and Safe Moon. It's to people who don't know, you know, crypto. It's extremely attractive. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, it makes 100 percent sense why people are flocking that stuff like a moth to a flame right yeah they just want to get rich off crypto and they're like oh i was too late for bitcoin what about something called safe moon it's safe and it's gonna moon ta-da like this is how i get rich it only has to go to a dollar um of course if it went to a dollar it would end up being like a 70 trillion dollar cap or something that's how it happened and you know what? Some people turned like $100 into $10 million or something like that. I don't understand how that happened, but congrats. They'll probably lose all their money still. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, fees. ETH fees, total fees per day, all-time high. BTC total fees, almost at all-time high as well. Um, the BTC on-chain metrics look poor because of that... Uh, China, China hash rate stuff, um, basically difficulties off 8%, 9%. Um, next adjustment is in nine days. So until nine days from now, I think all the on-chain metrics are going to look pretty weak because the mempool is super backed up for BTC. So there's a lot of pending transactions. Fees are high. Um, yeah, so that's where, that's where we stand on the on-chain stuff for BTC versus ETH. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, we've said this a good bit in the sense of, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons to transact on ETH, and most people want to hold their BTC. That's fine. Right. Long-term trend that we probably expect to continue. Uh, somebody asked us, what did they ask? Uh, do we think that these scams are bad for crypto broadly was basically the question. And I think, uh, yes, but it's also going to be natural. Uh, Kane, who's the synthetics founder, talked about how essentially you want scams and BS because the alternative is under investment in the ecosystem and the world can absorb some scams. It can't absorb a perpetually inadequate status quo was kind of his take on that. I think that's kind of a sad reality, but I guess it is a reality. Like you're just going to get scams along with, you know, kind of these generational opportunities and you just got to hope that people don't get stuck in them. That's my take on that. Good question. Yeah, it. Um, Wall Street asked me this a couple weeks ago. I was talking about it. I think it was him. Um, relative to like, do you feel bad about people losing money? Like if you're making money, right? Um, and normally I don't think about it. But when I see stuff like BSC and Safe Moon and Doge mooning and GME and all this other stuff, you know, that's when I feel bad that people get trapped yeah because uh, stuff like that yeah and they have like flawed logic throughout and you know it's hard to talk them out of it right uh ripple people same way you know whatever um one last thing about bsc i was going to look at the numbers total value locked is still high trading volume still way up uh transactions way down from the peak though around half or less uh and users way down now BSC. I, I think what BSC excites me for is it shows that people can get onto a, another blockchain 
and that when it's cheap enough for them to transact, they do transact and they do participate in stuff. We just got to move them away from dumb stuff to reasonable stuff. Got to move them away from dumb stuff to less dumb stuff. Uh, for me, it says it reinforces that crypto use case. The number one use case is gambling and it will forever be gambling because that's ultimately what all of this stuff is. But so many things are that way, right? Like I, I'm not going to disagree. I'm just saying, like let's be just, honest. Let's be honest here. That's why people are here, you know, what to, right? to, be, to get rich or whatever. People aren't here for ultrasound money, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those days are long gone. You know, that, that may have been like 2013, 2017 crowd. But uh, right now, right here, we're not talking about ultrasound money. We're talking about get rich quick, boys. Yeah. People have been doing that for ages. That's been their motivation for ages. Um, yeah, that's fine. But it's so, important. We're honest with ourselves that ETH isn't like the next best thing since the Bible because it's ultrasound money. No, it's. Uh, I, I want to talk, though, about some of the things that I think are on the verge that get that get very interesting to me. So. One is when you bring the opportunity to abandon your bank or abandon your low interest uh, stuff, and instead, because you're enabled by cheap transactions um, and fast transactions, you can have a mobile experience like similar to your balance on Venmo that's earning automatically because you're putting that money to work in an app that's connected to an ETH layer 2, and you're earning like 10% yield per year on the cash that you have available on your phone that you have custody of that has just as good of a user experience as Venmo or something like that. And it's all on the on a decentralized network. And I think that's what, what I'm, I'm trying to think about what will come and how much that enables people to participate in something better than what's always existed. So that's what excites me about all of this stuff is not thinking about like wanting to go gamble or wanting to like get rich quick or play a lottery or, you know, do whatever all these various scams are that pop up, but just the more like base level stuff um, of like putting your money on your devices and having your, your own custody, having real yield opportunities Versus these jokes of like banks giving you uh, 0.002% interest or charging you $10 a month to use a, their debit accounts. And I want to see what it looks like when just all those things go away and it becomes significantly more competitive with decentralized systems. Maybe that's utopian of me, but I think that's possible. I think that's possible. I think it's within the two to three year framework. I think we're going to see those things occur. Yeah, I agree. And those are just incentives. Um, but I don't need to, the thing about these, uh, these projects versus the stuff we want to see happen is the proper incentives. You don't need to sell people on that. They just see that and they say, yeah, of course that makes sense. Right? Like I don't have money in my bank account. I think we talked about this last week or the week before, but I, I don't hold cash in bank accounts anymore just because it makes less sense to do so. Right. So yeah. it just, it just happens organically. <laughs> yeah. Like I had to, I had to transfer some money to my bank account because my account balance got so low because I've been paid mostly in crypto. I think I talked about it, but it was like yeah. kind of embarrassing, you know? Um, yeah. I, had like, to send... I have no incentive to keep it there. Like you just said, I want freaking cash over there. I want to use, I want to do something with my cash. I had to send a wire. Um, and, I had to fill out a form. I had to email my bank. My bank had to contact me to make sure 
that I was the one sending the wire for some reason. And it's just like this whole process that just doesn't need to be Dude, that I have, way. I have to walk into my bank and sign a piece of paper if I want to send a wire. Like I cannot even do it remotely. <laughs> even in the depths of COVID, I could. I had to walk into my bank and sign something to send a wire transfer. It's That's incredible. Silly. Um, let's get back to the charts. DeFi perp still looks good to me. Um, looks like ETH did or does had its sell off and it's at support again. I don't know. DeFi stuff does look good. Um, the general hope for BTC was there would be some sort of catch up trade with ETH uh, on that ascending triangle that just never, never materialized. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in general on on BTC, I'm looking for the low time frame MAs to flip bullish again because everything's flipped neutral to bear at this point on the low time frames. The interesting thing about looking at something like DeFi Perp that you just showed is when mm-hmm. you compare it to ETH. Um, so I don't have the DeFi Perp one, but I like I do use the DeFi Pulse Index versus ETH, and it looks like it's basically back at supports, but it's essentially lost since March second relative to Ethereum and it looks like it's trying to find a floor, which to me just shows that DeFi blue chips have not been worth being in versus Ethereum all by itself. Um, so this is one of those things where it was like so much better to be in anything DeFi related going back to, you know, from the very, very beginning of the year. Essentially, they capitulated. January 3rd, they went from on this rationale from 0.13 to 0.26. So the DeFi Pulse Index doubled relative to Ethereum while Ethereum did well um, and then bled back about half of that. And it's on now, maybe a little, I bet this is about a 0.618 retrace if I apply a fib. Let's see. What do you think? I bet it is. Oh, oh, look at that. Right on the 0.16, uh, 0.618 retrace. So like this, this, this makes me think maybe DeFi and ETH can go up together because, like we said, bullish ETH, but is maybe DeFi will get flows as well, so bullish all of the things. Uh, you just pulled up Comp, which, like, blows my mind. It's been such an underperformer, and now it's, it just looks extraordinarily strong. Comp made an all-time high today. I know. Like today, of all days. Like, everything's getting wrecked, and Comp just is chatting. You know what else looks absolutely disgusting? Maker made an all-time high yesterday. The laggards, the laggards are playing a catch-up trade here. These are the ones that we talked about before with, as having uh, less than ideal tokenomics, and they lagged because of it. And now they're going. It makes me wonder: is it because they just lagged for too long? Like they're fundamentally well-used products, but the tokenomics weren't very good. Is it that the tokenomics are improving, or just did it get too out of hand? I don't know. I really don't. Know I, I feel like in the interest sector, lending and borrowing stuff. I feel like there's some rotation definitely going on. If you if you look at the the, the lending and borrowing numbers for Comp versus Ave versus whatever else, um, Comp caught up super quick in that regard. Ave looks less. Ave looks like BTC as far as how bearish it looks. <laughs> well, man, it's like had these. Fake breakouts. Uh, I've been in Ave. I'm an Ave bag holder. Yeah, I'm so, so am I. So whatever. But yeah. But it's like it. It'll look. It'll go from this breakdown and then look extraordinarily strong, and then ETH hiccups and Ave pukes. Uh, it's been rough. But 
I still like it. I still like both of them, but comp's chart looks way stronger, and it makes me feel dumb. Uh, James Lee in the chat asks, what makes comp a blue chip? From a pure product perspective, creating a lending and borrowing product, comp and Ave are like the freaking blue of the blue chips, you know? They're, well, Maker, honestly. But Maker's not a, a lending platform. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. It's a DeFi product. It's it. I mean, it, there's. I mean, Maker was the first one to do anything about anything. Sure, know? it Maker started DeFi, but Comp and Ave from a pure like deposit your assets, earn yield, borrow other assets, and either yeah. short them or long with them or whatever. Those are the two primary, and they are the kings of the castle in that landscape. But Ave has better tokenomics meaning like the things that it does with the token or uh, then comp and comp had this kind of perpetual problem between the farming incentives that were required to keep the tvl and all this other stuff and maybe they fixed it but i don't know that it looks good but from a pure product perspective not worrying about the value of comp just using comp like comp is fantastic so is but comp and ave are both fantastic so that's what makes it a blue chip in my mind that's fair um Sushi and Uni. What's up with that chart? Let me pull up Uni versus that, Sushi. That rounded top on Uni is... You mean Sushi? So, this is Sushi. Well, Sushi's underperforming now. This is, uh, in some ways, it's similar, you know, tokenomics versus pure fund- product fundamentals. Um, Aves was rounding and then just kind of went vertical out of it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, yeah, this is the vert, the one versus the other chart, but this is yeah, uni versus sushi. Um, sushi definitely flailing here for sure. Um, ZRX flailing, one inch kind of flailing as well. Although everything's kind of selling off since yesterday, but uh, one inch is still in the range. I think it looks fine overall. Yeah, I'm a I'm a farmer on one inch. I got to pump that uh, <laughs> ZRX. So I think. I was going to say yeah, ZRX kind of just, back. So well, really... Oh, man. It broke the $2 weekly all-time closing high, and then when ETH, again, ETH hiccuped, it nuked um, or puked, whatever the analogy there is. Painful. as uh, Again, a, a believer in ZRX as a blue chip, yada, yada, well undervalued. Market didn't care. Market dumped it. Um, sushi, the reason it's interesting to me is it broke down from its range, and now it's getting close both to its all-time high USD breakout. Um, I say close. It could go down another 30% to get there. And I'm also like, I can't ignore this 200-day moving average. It looks like it's just going to range and do a bunch of nothing. Um, I don't, I, I'm not offended by, I wouldn't be offended holding it here, but I don't like, I'm not in love with it either. Um, especially on that relative trade, when you compare it to uni, like, Uni keeps trying to make new highs, but it's got this, I mean, it's like this, the, these charts look like some kind of sine wave, you know, and it makes me wonder, are they going to round back down and cre- go full wave or are they just, are these weird consolidation patterns before they make another move up? I don't know, man. Like, I, I, it's just been painful that everything that was trying to make all-time highs and stuff like curve made the high completely washed out. And then, but now it looks like it's capitulated, and maybe it's going to move up from here. Or is this just chop? It's just what this ETH strength then dump 
caused in DeFi was this added reflexivity, right? They were moving up faster than they dumped harder. And this is in one week. So since our last show, just on this example, that's a 50% move. <laughs> as, a, as a curve holder, that hurts, Josh. That hurts. A 50% wick-to-wick type of move. And euphoric, breakout, price expiration, here we go. Complete wreckage, like down the yeah. down the hole like that that is very painful as someone trying to trade because yeah. none of these are very technical um technically interesting they're just they're just obliteration you know yeah i agree it's very difficult to break out trade especially a setup that looks completely real and legitimate and <laughs> yeah, then, it looks fantastic and then it just washes out what are you gonna do you know it's like <laughs> there's nothing you can do you, you long the breakout. This is why I get nervous on breakout trades like this every single time because this is always the fear that you get you get lightsabered or whatever, Darth mauled. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it mean reverts anyway. Um, so it's like, now what do you do? Do you add if you're still holding at the mean reversion? Or, you know, I feel like it's it's just makes it even more difficult at this point. I agree with you that it does look semi-capitulatory, but man... That makes me nervous, right? It's like, where's the where's the bid side? Where's the liquidity? Just it's nuts. Yeah, you know, I've been trying to think. Like, I wasn't going to sell into those massive impulses down. Yeah. From a practical perspective, though, this is the point where I have to look at something and say, "All right, do I choose to start rebalancing now? Um, and where and how do I rebalance?" So here's my open thought processes. <laughs> okay, y'all, y'all can critique us in the chat. Give us your feedback. I would consider here, where is my risk and my reward? Um, and what's that profile look like? And I am not bearish ETH at all, right? ETH is going to have less downside. You talk about the reflexivity. Uh, you know, basically, if if uh, if ETH goes down, DeFi goes down more. If ETH goes up, does DeFi go up more? Typically, yes. But what if ETH is making this like true multi-year breakout, especially relative to BTC? There might be more of an appetite for people to maintain their risk primarily in ETH, and your DeFi stuff ends up ranging or lagging to where you get the ETH move, then the DeFi move. So if currently you're like in the ETH landscape and maybe you're 50% ETH, 50% DeFi or something like that, well, it might be worth being 80% ETH, 20% DeFi, because if DeFi outperforms, fine. But if ETH outperforms, your downside is, if it goes down, if everything goes down, your downside is less, but your upside is potentially greater or it creates a lag, which tends to happen in crypto, like one moves first and then the other moves. And I think if one moves first and then the other moves, it's much more likely that ETH is going to move first and then DeFi goes. You know what I mean? So I have to think now, okay, is this a good time to rebalance some of this DeFi stuff back to ETH, maintain my long exposure, and then just hope DeFi lags and I can rotate the trade from you know ETH 3000 or whatever it goes to on that impulse up to try to collect uh, more affordable ETH relative DeFi bags for the second part of the move. That's what, as a trader, when I'm seeking to outperform the market, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And that's actually the direction I'm leaning right now is that I'm probably a little too DeFi heavy and I need to be more ETH heavy 
uh, in anticipating ETH to outperform BTC, ETH to break those multi-year highs, ETH to get a push uh, because of the ETH BTC magnet at 0.055 and to lead DeFi and then try to catch DeFi before it rocket ships on the back end of that. Do you think that's bad logic? I don't think it's bad. I just think there's a lot of, someone mentioned taxes in chat. Taxes are a concern as are gas fees. Okay, well, let me qualify all of the stuff I just said. My entire portfolio is short-term tax. So I'm on a calendar year basis. I'm giving away 40% of my net worth. It's more than that. It's it's more than that. It's just the multiple multiple trades in and out. You have to be, you have to have high conviction that you're actually going to do better, right? Than just holding the DeFi stuff. You know, sure. If you're, you have to if believe you're, in your thesis, if you're considering, if someone is considering long-term capital gains, if someone's considering holding through the new year to delay their taxes, those kinds of things, this is not a conversation for you. I'm talking about someone right. who's active, actively trading their portfolio. This is for an actively managed short-term capital gains portfolio discussion. Um, that's fair. And that's if you like, I'm if you don't. If you don't care about taxable events specifically, you know, I don't, I don't think long-term cap gains is where most people have their head at anyway, but, um, yeah, well, yeah, no, I think your, I think your assessment is fair. And I agree with you that ETH looks super strong here relative to a lot of these, um, DeFi charts. Just look at any DeFi versus ETH chart. Um, ETH, it, it looks bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Even the, even the relatively strong ones, like what's the relatively strong one? Uh, I mean, I just pulled up Ave versus ETH, and it makes me want to puke. I mean, that's disgusting. Yeah, that looks. This has just been bearish retest after bearish retest. So, if I was holding a bunch of DeFi stuff versus rotating into ETH, this is exactly what I would do: Ooh. go down the list, look at all of Ooh. these charts. Oh, that's Bitcoin. They... that's versus Bitcoin. I was about to say, if that's Uni versus ETH, I want to see Uni versus Bitcoin. Uh, and that's been that's an interesting component of these too, because they actually look. Uh, you know, versus Bitcoin, some of these look really good, but that's how much, yeah, versus ETH, uni also just bearish retest look. Like this, this makes it very difficult to justify DeFi positions versus ETH. I hate to say it. It doesn't mean I don't want exposure. I just, ugh. <laughs> uh, I mean, and a lot of this happened over like the last three days, you know, like it's amazing how fast some of it can happen. Which I agree. Oh, you're that's okay. just EOC. EOC. I mean, even just, I mean that those kinds of coins. I don't even consider they're not even real to me. <laughs> they're not even actually crypto to me. Oh, here's a good um, one. I've been like I've really been. I I think Wi-Fi is so due. I think they've been getting their act together a little bit. But holy cow, it did the same thing. Like just breakout fail, uh, and it doesn't. It still looks like okay versus um, USD. It looks like it wants to make this move versus BTC where it goes to 1.5 BTC, but versus ETH, like it's just looks like it's about to go to lower lows. looks like it's about to go to like price exploration to the downside. <laughs> like none of these look any good versus ETH. ETH ultrasound money. <laughs> oh God. Is this just like an ETH party today on this? Well, I named a previous episode Ethereum boom shakalaka. So, you know, we weeded out. We weeded out anybody that doesn't want to hear about Ethereum already. I got five minutes, and then I got my heart out. Yeah. So just a heads up on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I got. I don't have anything else to say, really. Oh, than- oh yeah, we got a good one. Okay, I gotta give. I gotta. We never talk about this project because 
I don't, I don't know, coping. Is it soul? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just did a video on this. Oh my uh, gosh. Like I thought it was just... funny, by the way. I didn't listen to the, the Travis thing you did this week, but I thought it was funny that he, um, uh, to me, this isn't a knock against Travis. I love Travis, but to me, it's like anybody who's talking about Solana, even CMS, um, is a VC or a trader or an investor who's in Solana, right? I don't think they are necessarily super hyper ultra bullish on the prospect of Solana. I just think they're talking their bags ultimately, right? Well, their bags, all their bags unlocked at like the beginning of the year, at least some degree of them. And I was afraid, I was looking at Solana. I have evidence somewhere where it was like, I, you know, I was interested at like a dollar fifty or something, but I was like, I don't know. I, want, I don't want these VCs to dump on me. And, you mm-hmm. know, lo and behold, it's up 2000%. <laughs> like, I just feel like an idiot. I can't buy that, Josh. I cannot buy that. I'm not buying, oh. I'm not buying that chart. I'm not doing I felt, it. I feel the same way about Rune. Rune's up 1500% since January. That's a difficult buy for me, right? Um, but I agree. I agree. It's uh, difficult to buy. And to me, Solana is like EOS with Sam behind it. Um, it is a proof of stake network. That's a powerful combo, though. Like, how do you bet against I, I'm EOS. not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's like EOS with Sam behind it. You know? a, yeah, I should have known. I should have known. It's up 700% versus Ethereum this year. Golly. I'm coping. I'm coping on that. On that note, I'm I'm peak cope at the moment. And it looks like it's just going to keep going up versus Ethereum, but I'm not buying it. I refuse. I will refuse <laughs> all the way to $100 per Solana. People are getting so hilariously rich on this coin. Except yeah. for me. Uh, my whole thing is every everything since January is up, right? So what's going to yeah, happen in a bear in a bear market because well, at this point i missed that train right i missed the solana train i missed the uh whatever else train since january well that's the problem but, if, when you're trying to buy into something even if you think it's got a relative value like solana could end up a top five network at the end of the day like eos maxed out at i think eos mm-hmm. went to number four or five solana could do the same thing and that means it's got multiples left in order to do it um but if you're wrong on that bet from a risk reward perspective, you've got those multiples to the top side. But when you have people that are up 30 X on their bet, they can be down 50% and dump on you. And like, so you just Omega lose. There's, there's no floor relative to your bet. Mm-hmm. And that makes it extraordinarily hard to get in. Um, you have to do it. You basically can only do it on a dump. Uh, it's very difficult to buy that impulse. And at least in my mind, and that's my hundred IQ why I'm poor type of statement. Yeah, I agree. I just wasn't I wasn't in early enough. I didn't know about it early enough. Uh, I didn't take it seriously. I guess early enough. I don't. I don't know. It's hard to to get bullish on every single coin that comes your way when you've been around for a long time. Because it's like, what are you supposed to do? Right? Just like buy everything. I don't know. That's my excuse. Yeah. No. I I actually like Solana long term but i actually think it's going to take them quite a while to get things like their developer community really tooled up because it's a different platform that you're developing on same problem same problem tezos and EOS. some of those yeah. have that's, like that's the market lives on solidity still that's the same feeling i had when i looked at it uh deeply this week is that it's reminds me just like tezos just like eos just like any other proof of stake coin with validators same 
same flavor of the same of a different same coin. potential drawdowns from a centralization yeah. perspective and whatever. Yep. Yep, I'd, yep, I'd yep. be interested for Sam's take on the decentralization potential for Solana. Like it's different than Neo. Like Neo was seven validators, five of them controlled by Neo or something like that. You know. Like, yeah, no, it is it is different, uh, um, but very very similar to a lot of that stuff. But the people that really go hard into like a, a decentralization and what are the balances? Usually, when you hit you know the magical three things of decentralization, whatever they are, like the scalability, the speed, and whatever you know, something else, um, you end up sacrificing something, and usually it's sacrificing decentralization whenever you're getting to that transaction speed and capability and yada yada. I got a piece. It's been real. Thanks for joining us, everybody. That's all I got. Y'all have a good one. I'll be on for the post show, for the chat. I'll stick with you, chat. Go to letterstatus.com slash sets to check out token sets. Monuments crumble.